Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys within wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s. And Erica went through a sustained 50-pound weight loss and self-love journey. We created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches and together with our community are learning to live our most purposeful lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness and empower you to feel your absolute best. And because we want to bring forth a wide variety of stories, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect our own, but we hope the diverse and varied stories will empower you to make the best choices for your own life. So join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Courageous Wellness. This week, we have um, an old friend of ours on the show, which we're very excited about. But before we get into her intro, uh, we're going to do our typical catch up. So Erica, is there anything that you are enjoying right now? Enjoying in wellness, in your life? What's going on? Yes. Yes. Actually last week, it's been five days. I threw my back out last week, um, doing a dance cardio class at home and yeah, it's been brutal, but it's starting to heal. It's just, um, yeah, it's brutal. I'm not 25 anymore. Like you just, it's, it's real. So that's been interesting. Lots of time on the heating pad, like alternating between heat and ice and, um, being kind to my body this week. I'm really just doing walking cause mm-hmm. my back is healing, but I really want to honor the healing and not push myself back into a workout. Um, so that's been interesting, but with the back injury, I'd say I was only really down for the count for maybe like 48 hours. Um, but since, you know, I love to move my body for stress release and for, you know, just joy of movement. And I can't really do that right now. I really just started walking about a day ago. Um, I've been baking and cooking and experimenting in the kitchen, which is so joyful. So I do, sorry, that's a long lead up to what I want to share are two things that I've recently tried and created in the kitchen that I'm loving. Um, I'm sure that'll be my update next week too, because like I said, it's what I'm doing for joy and stress relief right now. But the first thing I tried for all of my, um, pumpkin lovers was once upon a pumpkin, our friend Maggie, she was also a guest on the podcast. Um, she does a copycat, but made with all real food ingredients, uh, copycat Starbucks, pumpkin cream, cold brew. Mm. And I love Starbucks pumpkin cream cold brew. Like I love it. I could have it every single day, but it is as much as I love it. It's artificial. It's overly sweet. You know, it's, it's yeah. delicious, but, um, so I tried Maggie's, um, and it's made, it's like, you probably have all the ingredients at home. It's a little, um, maple syrup, real pumpkin, puree, uh, vanilla extract, oat milk or a nut milk of your choice, 
Um, I think that's it. I think, I think she vanilla uses too. Vanilla extract. Vanilla? Yeah. Um, oh, do you say that? Yeah. She uses a collagen protein. I I don't use that when I make it. I make it without the collagen protein, but it's very simple. It takes like five minutes to put together. Um, I'll put it in our show notes for anyone who wants to try it, but it is really, really tasty. And it really is like comparable to Starbucks, but so much better for you. So I've made that like three times already. I, I It's so good. And it's just, it's perfect for the season. So that's one thing I really recommend that I've tried this week. And then the second thing I've tried is I I'm really into smoothies again. I've been like making different smoothies every day almost, but I've perfected Ali. I think I literally texted you when I drank it because this is yes. now, I think I'm done experimenting with smoothies. Like this is my new go to morning breakfast smoothie. And I'm going to share it now. It's, um, it's like a chocolate cherry smoothie. So if you like cherry and you like chocolate, this is the smoothie for you. Um, so I use the Malibu milk, flax milk, fun fact. I went to high school with the founder of Malibu milk for anyone who drinks it. Um, Brittany, I haven't seen her in years, but super fun, but yeah, so I love supporting Malibu milk and I use that as my base. So like a flax milk, And then I use dark cherries. I use the chocolate metabolism super powder from Saqqara, which is like the perfect sweet chocolate decadent flavor. Um, Then I use cashew butter, which is really good. Like protein, healthy fats, the cashew butter, fiber, chia seeds. I add chia seeds. And then I use the metabolism super powder, the dark frozen cherries and, um, frozen kale and you can't taste the kale at all. (laughs) And it is so good. It really just tastes like chocolate cherry goodness. So, um, that's my favorite smoothie right now. I cannot recommend it enough. Uh, whole foods has frozen cherries year round, at least here in California, I'm sure everywhere. Um, but yeah. And if you want to try it, um, if you don't have the metabolism super powder, you could probably use cacao or something for the chocolatey flavor, but the super powder is just delicious and is so good for your gut. It has so many good nutrients for you. So, um, if you do want to try it, you can always save 20% on your first order with XO courageous over at Saqqara. But yeah, yeah, pumpkin cream, cold brew, and this like cherry chocolate smoothie is my, my new vibe. And it keeps me so full and just, it's like my favorite way to start the day. So what about you, Allie? How Sounds are you doing? Delicious. What are your updates? What are my updates? Well, this morning, the morning that we're recording this intro, I did a, um, a 20 minute yoga sculpt on our Instagram page and Instagram live with a, a yoga instructor. Her name is G her name's really Angelina, but she goes by G or Gia and it's, um, fit with G yoga. You can find her on, on Instagram. And she was lovely. And it was a really nice, low impact way to get my heart rate up, start the day. And I actually went to a class after that. I was feeling a little ambitious this morning. I went to a hot yoga class too. So I'm a little little draggy this afternoon, but, um, but yeah, it was, it's fun. I've definitely been prioritizing movement more and more, which just feels really good. Um, especially as we move into like the winter months, this is something I've been thinking about, you know, it's easier for me to become a little bit more sedentary, uh, in the winter. And, um, not that it gets really cold here in California, but, um, you know, 
it's just like a cozier time. It gets a little chillier and it's easier for me to be like someone who just loves to curl up all the time. So I love the hot yoga because I get to feel really warm. Um, and I love that because if anybody knows me, I'm cold a lot and yeah. Um, so that, that's kind of something that I've been, you know, prioritizing in my own life and I'm enjoying that. I'm starting to feel a little stronger, you know, it's a slow game, but it definitely is, um, worth it. And then what else? Um, yeah, I guess on that note, and you were talking about like your seasonal favorites, I've just been really thinking about like seasonal ingredients and I was watching, I don't know if anybody's seen it. It's on the Magnolia network. Um, there's a show called the lost kitchen and it's, uh, actually it's about a woman whose name is Erin French, no relation that I'm aware of, but, um, she opened a restaurant in a little town called freedom, Maine, which is her hometown. And, basically it's open from like April through October because in Maine, they can't stay open (laughs) like through the winter. Um, and they did a lot of pivoting with COVID and did some outdoor stuff, but it's this like beautiful restaurant completely run by women all in the use, like completely seasonal ingredients. So the show itself is kind of funny. Like I think the producers try to create drama where there is none. Like it's like a restaurant, like, you, you know, but not like a, crazy restaurant. Like it's just like these beautiful services that they do. And it's like, everything seems like so high drama, but like, it's actually like not, a. there's like, not really, they're like solving problems that don't exist, which is kind of funny, but I definitely recommend just watching it for like how beautiful their food is. I feel like I've been inspired seasonally to make some foods that they make. And, um, towards the end of their season in October, she incorporated apple in every single course. And the courses are so beautiful and, you know, it doesn't like, it's not like one way of eating. It's just good food with good ingredients. And that's my favorite. I don't know. It's like food porn, you know, it's like my favorite thing to watch and look at. I love the food network too. Um, so yeah. And I think all this food talk is pretty on the nose for who we have on the show today. (laughs) I know. I was like, it's perfect. This is like our latest part of our food story. So it's perfect that we're, we're getting into this episode with Elise. So should we get into it, Allie? Yes, absolutely. So today on the podcast, we welcome back our friend, Elise Muselis, who was formerly known as Kale and Chocolate. Elise is an attorney turned certified eating psychology and nutrition expert, and she has helped thousands of women change their food stories and is the host of the popular podcast, Once Upon a Food Story. Elise is also the author of the new book, Food Story, Rewrite the Way You Eat, Think, and Live, which will be available next week on October 26th. As Dr. Mark Hyman said in his endorsement for the book, in Food Story, Elise Musella shows you how to heal your relationship with food, make nourishing choices, and feel in charge of your health and your life. And we absolutely agree. As we mentioned in this episode, we think Elise's book should be required reading for every individual. And on this episode, we are able to catch up with Elise here 
all about her new book and learn how her food story has evolved since our last conversation. And you can also find the link in our show notes to Elisa's first time on Courageous Wellness, which dives even deeper into her wellness journey and food story. So enjoy the episode. And in our show notes, you can also find a link to pre-order and buy the book. This episode is brought to you by Ned. Let's talk about CBD. The CBD market feels really saturated these days, doesn't it? It seems like you can get it at any coffee shop or grocery store, and many CBD brands actually source their hemp from industrial hemp farms in China. The brand that we love, and more importantly, the brand that we trust, is Ned. Ned produces some of the highest quality CBD available in the world, and Erica and I only partner with brands that we ourselves use. Ned shares third-party lab reports, who farms their products, and their extraction process all right there on their website. How's that for knowing exactly where your CBD comes from? We have both been longtime users of Ned. I rely on the full-spectrum hemp oil to help with my anxiety, and the hormone balance blend has been a game-changer as I transitioned off of birth control. But today, we want to talk about Ned's brand-new product, which has been in development for over a year, the De-Stress Blend. We recently got our hands on a sample and could not be more obsessed with the benefits and the effects. This one-to-one formula of CBD and CBG is made from the world's purest full spectrum hemp and check out these ingredients. CBG is known as the mother of all cannabinoids because of how effective it is at combating anxiety and stress by inhibiting the reuptake of GABA, the neurotransmitter responsible for stress regulation. Ashwagandha is an amazing Ayurvedic adaptogen that enhances your body's resilience to stress. And the delicious taste of this blend is thanks to the botanical infusion of cardamom and cinnamon. Cinnamon is a powerful prebiotic that supports your gut health, a key player in your mental health. And cardamom combats stress by helping reduce your blood pressure and cortisol levels. Also, Ned's quality speaks for itself. The products have over 1,500 five-star reviews, and they work with incredible partners within the medical field like Dr. Carolyn Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole, who has been a two-time guest on this podcast. If you want to try the new De-Stress Blend from Ned, a brand that we love and trust, we have a special offer for the Courageous Wellness audience. Every order over $40 qualifies for 15% off plus a free de-stress blend sample. Go to www.helloned.com forward slash CW podcast or enter CW podcast at checkout to take advantage of this offer. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash CW podcast to get 15% off plus a free de-stress blend sample on any order over $40. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring our program and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. We are so excited to offer our listeners a new discount to one of the best probiotic supplements on the market, Seed. Whether you are a Patreon member in our nutrition community or a regular listener of the podcast, you know that Ali and I are both very serious when it comes to the importance of gut health and building a thriving microbiome. I personally have been using seed for months and have noticed a big difference in my digestion and bloating. I am now devoted to taking seed every morning before food and I'm really excited to share their daily symbiotic with our audience. 
The formulation of the daily symbiotic combines a probiotic and prebiotic, is vegan and gluten-free, and includes 24 clinically studied naturally occurring strains not found in yogurt or fermented foods and beverages, and lives up to the highest standards for human and planetary health. Yes. In addition to being a really reliable probiotic and prebiotic supplement, Seed is committed to creating science-based education for all those that partner with them through accountable advertising at Seed University. This is where we are all committed to not spreading misinformation about health on the internet, which is pretty important. Also, I personally love their commitment to sustainability with a refill system and all recyclable or biodegradable packaging materials. Erica and I only advertise products that we use and feel are of benefit to us and by extension could be of value to our community. If you would like to order Seed Daily Symbiotics to incorporate into your own gut health routine, go to seed.com and use Courageous15 at checkout for 15% off or click on the link in our show notes or the link tree on Instagram. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Elise. We're so happy to have you back on the show. I'm so happy to be here. And it's been really, really fun to watch your growth since the last time we recorded. I don't know if you remember, but when we met, you were just graduating from nutrition school. Yes. I can't believe it. It's been a couple of years now. And um, yeah, and Erica and I both went on to do sort of more advanced programs too. And we were so fortunate to have you on in the early days of the show. So um, we're excited to have you back. So for any of our listeners that maybe didn't listen to your first episode, which we recommend going back and listening to, but can you share uh, with them, with us a little bit about your personal journey and now how that's led you into um, the work that you're doing? Okay, sure. And I will definitely try to give you a more cliff notes version since we went through the whole thing in the last episode. But I grew up in Los Angeles, which saying that out loud, I'm sure the two of you can understand that says a whole lot about the food culture that I was born into. And um, my first vivid memory of a pivotal moment in my food story was, and I tell this in my book, is when I went to a doctor's appointment and I was only nine years old and there were, you know, I got on the scale. I think a lot of us have those like negative associations with getting on the scale. And there was like hush conversation with the adults. And the doctor said to me, if you lose five pounds, you can get your ears pierced. And around the same time, my dad was, um, he was eating in his sleep. He was like night sleepwalking and snacking. And he didn't feel very good in the morning when he did it. So to stop him from that behavior, he locked our refrigerator literally with a bicycle lock, locked the, locked the um, pantry and gave my mom the key for safekeeping. And so even though it had absolutely nothing to do with me, those two events together really did create this belief that if I, you know, that controlling my food was really important, you know, and like, if I can control my food, um, you know, then I can get things that I want that I'll, you know, that it was just a positive thing. And so my story, and this is also not to put any blame, because I think 
a lot of the adults in our lives are doing the best they can with the knowledge they have. And like, I look back now and think, oh, I wouldn't have done that the same way with my kids. So this is not putting any blame, but anyway, so I, then my whole story was control, you know, and I, I now kind of have coined like eating perfectionism, you know, like that. I just wanted to do everything the right way. And so I, I practiced law and I was still just so like obsessed. I'm not going to even put it nicely, you know, like very preoccupied with being healthy and doing everything right and put so much pressure and stress on myself. And ultimately I ended up getting into, um, holistic nutrition. I went to the same program that you all went to was very, very like, you know, focused on the what to eat. And I was helping people and I was healing my own story. And I was like, you know, the poster child of health. And then I went, I read this book called The Slow Down Diet. And I mention it every time because it was such a turning point for me. And it wasn't a diet that, at all, but really more about the why and how you eat. And I learned about what stress does to our metabolism, our nutrient assimilation, forget about enjoyment, you know? And so I realized like, even though that I had all, was eating all these healthy things and I had become, become such a long way from being preoccupied with being skinny, you know, that was it to and transform that into being healthy. I actually wasn't really healthy because of what was going on in my mind. And that's when I ended up getting certified in eating psychology. I healed my own food story because I was able to like, like really get into what my thoughts were around the food, not just the what, but the why and the how and um, learn how to relax more in my own mind. And it was so transformative for me and it gave me the tools to be able to help other people change their food story too. And so I know I'm leaving out like a lot of other moments, but I just thought that those things pretty much summarize like the, you know, the troubled, you know, child who was given messages, you know, to like what was really the most healing thing for me to learn. So. Thank you so much for sharing that again. And yes, as Ali shared, please, if you haven't listened to your first episode on this podcast, because you really unpack your food story in such a beautiful and deep way that just like opened my eyes so much. And it was just such an incredible episode, but thank you again for sharing it because what I love about your platform and what I'm so excited about your book is we all have a food story, right? We right. all have a food story. We all especially women. I know men do too, but I feel like for women, food is so emotional and loaded. And your story at nine years old is when your food story really began. I, I feel like that's when it's so it's heartbreaking, but it's, it's so real and relatable that as children, we have these memories of when we started being aware of our body as more mm -hmm. than just like, for fun and for play and for enjoy, right? It became, oh, I'm so aware of my body holding up space in this world based mm -hmm. on my weight. It's just so interesting. So yeah. So can you share with us a little bit about your beautiful book too, which we're so excited about? It's like, I know it's a podcast, so you can't see, but it's the most beautiful like book. It's, I love the yellow. It could be on your coffee table. It'll look beautiful on your nightstand. I'm, I'm so excited to keep it out. But um, can you tell us then about how the book came to be about and and what kind of your what is food story, the book? 
then? Okay. <laughs> that's so, the question. <laughs> that's a good thing. And I just want to like piggyback onto what you said. So I think it might be helpful for our listeners to really explain like how I came up with the concept of a food story. And also just to share, yeah, just to share a little bit about that so they can start thinking about their own. So when I was first seeing clients, I, and I was starting to dig deep and kind of get into more of the how and the why I'd say, so tell me about your relationship with food. And you would get this almost the same response. Like people would almost back up against the wall. You'd feel there's, you see their shoulder slump or they'd hold up their hand and say, no, 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 not that. No, it was like a dead end, you know, or it's complicated or, oh, do we have to go there? And so I knew that I had to, even though I really wanted to understand the relationship with food, I was like, I need to come up with a different way, a different way to ask the question, a different way to open people up. And so I started to think about what is our relationship with food? And this was back in 2013. And there was a lot of conversation. People were starting to become more vulnerable. There was a lot of conversation about story. And I was like, wait, we have a money story. We have a relation story. We have a life story. We have a food story. And so I started to like, think about what is a food story exactly? Well, there's different themes, there's different characters, there's different um, plot, there's plot twist, you know, there's chapters. Um, it's always evolving. It's not a dead end because it's a story and a story has flow and movement. And so I'd start asking the question. So let's talk about your food story or tell me about your food story. And people would say, oh my gosh, I never thought about it like that. And so when they started thinking about the different elements, it suddenly wasn't just them and food. It was like, oh, wait, now I understand why I have this belief. Or now I understand I used to observe my mom, why I have this behavior. And not only did it become so much more dynamic for people, but also it became like, there was a little bit of like the shame and the blame and the guilt was lifted because they could look back and understand why they were doing, believing, thinking the things that they did. So, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's so, it's so interesting, this concept of food story. I was actually thinking about it before we started recording as we, you know, we're perusing your book and, um, even someone like, I would say that I myself, have never deeply struggled. Like I've never had disordered eating necessarily in my life in an, any sort of overt way. But when you think about this concept of food story, as Erica mentioned earlier, I think we all actually have one. And to start to even unpack the subtleties around that, um, even for myself, it's like, wow, sometimes it really opened my eyes this way that you talk about, um, yeah, our relationship, not just our relationship, but what are the stories and what are our, how did we form these beliefs? Why do we hold these beliefs around this? Whether good, good, or like, or I shouldn't say good, maybe whether beneficial or perhaps a little bit more, um, whether they're, you know, beneficial to us or not. Right. I think, you know, it doesn't really matter like holding a judgment on what the relationship is, but to be able to start to observe our own relationship with food um, mm -hmm. is a really, uh, it's a really interesting thing. And you can learn a lot about yourself 
and a lot about, you know, maybe beliefs that you, you're not even aware that you hold because they're so subtle. Yes, um, exactly. And then yeah. also, you know, your food story is made up of, it's so many different things. So it's it, your positive memories of food, also like your negative. So it isn't necessarily... I mean, most of the people who are reading the book have something that they want to heal, right? There's a, a unwanted health or eating challenge. You know, there's something big or small, you know, they're not relaxed. They run out of ideas. They feel frustrated, overwhelmed. So it's not necessarily like you have to have this big, massive, like yeah. horrible relationship with food. And it's funny how like this book is definitely more geared for women. I'm not going to pretend that it's not, but I think I was a little bit short-sighted when I first started out thinking like, okay, food story and women and food story and like only looking through that lens. And, you know, I won't get into the whole thing, but I tell a story a lot about an 80 year old man who came to me and um, wanted, needed his son, his son actually came to me and he needed support. And at first I was like, oh, you know, this isn't the right, you know, we are not a match. I'm not sure. And then I realized he had a food story too, you know, and he had been diabetic his whole life and people told him that he couldn't, couldn't eat and what he couldn't eat. And you know how we focus you up too on everything you can eat. Right. And it was just flipping the script for him. That made a huge difference. How, how do you, I know this is what you cover in the book as well, but like, how do we start to heal? our food story? How do we start to heal, um, these beliefs that we have carried some of us since we were nine years old, eight years old. I know people who started being aware of their food story at like five years old, even mm -hmm. right. It can happen so young. Um, yeah. How do we begin to do that? Okay. So without giving that, away everything in your, no, life. no, no, <laughs> I, I'm going to, I want to talk about a little bit, you know, it, I have something called the food story method, but the first part of it is di really discovering your food story because we don't often stop and think about it. You know, we might remember a meal or the way like the kitchen smelled when our grandmother was cooking or like find comfort in food that we grew up with. There's a lot of, you know, we, we it's not like we don't have any vivid memories of how we related to food as a child, but there are a lot of things that, that just don't stay in the forefront of our thoughts. And so that is what I'm hoping to awaken people so they can understand, aha, that's why I feel the way that I do, behave the way that I do, think the way that I do. And so in the book, the second chapter is I share eight themes. And this is just a jumping off point because what I really truly believe, and also, this is kind of the point of your podcast too. You share stories, right? And so people being courageous and healing and people may not relate to someone's story per se, but when they hear you asking the questions and the person revealing the experiences they went through, it triggers something. Like it'll trigger a memory that maybe isn't even related, but it's like, oh, wait, you know, I, I kind of had something similar or, or it was so different, but they'll think about their own. I mean, that's human nature. So in the book, I just start with, here's some, here are eight themes. Are they pervasive for you? Do you still think like this? Do you, do you tell yourself the story of later, which is, you know, we know, all know that one uh, is like later when all the, you know, when the kids are grown later, when all the stars align, like, and you can apply that to even like starting a project, you know, but I'll take care of my health. I'll prioritize myself later. You know, for me, mine was a story of perfectionism. I don't know, Ali and Erica, if you related to any of those stories, did you, those themes? Yeah, I'm looking at them here. Um, 
I, I don't know yet exactly what mine is, but I think on, on some level I can relate to a couple of them even subtly, you know? Mm -hmm. So what are Um, those? Oh, that's interesting here. I'm looking at all of them. Um, I know folks in my life who I've heard the story of later quite a bit. Um, mine would be the story of overwhelm, probably feeling like getting to a place of, um, exhaustion and being like, well, I can't, I can't do this right now. Cause I'm so exhausted, like not prioritizing <laughs> things that help set me up for, um, making those decisions like mm-hmm. now, because, because exhaustion kind of trumps, um, everything else like, Oh, well, I was going to move today, but I'm so tired because I didn't get a good night's right. sleep or whatever right. it might be, you know, like using, using the, or me and maybe actually being at a place of going too hard. That's certainly something in my past that I've dealt with quite a bit where I'd push myself to a way where I couldn't make the choices that I really wanted to, to, um, prioritize my health. What about you, Erica? I definitely, it's weird because they almost feel, um, separate. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I can relate to later and perfectionism, like both, even though they almost seem, it just depends on which day I'm Mm -hmm. in, if that makes sense or, but, um, but it's interesting. I definitely think perfectionism more. I was actually on the phone with my therapist last week and she was like, you have said the word perfect six or seven times. And she was like, perfect does not exist. And I was like, I didn't even realize I was saying Mm -hmm. perfect until she mentioned that. So that's why I'm like, I can relate to both, but I think perfectionism even more. So, so. yeah. So these were just, this is just really to wake the reader up so that they can start thinking about their food story. But it's interesting because I think perfectionism actually is a form of procrastination. So it would relate to later. Exactly. Yeah. It's so interesting. So, but I think that's it. It's like the book is that good therapist. That's like, huh. Think about this <laughs> mm-hmm. almost. Right. Yeah. Um, which I love. I love because it is, this is so, it's so emotionally deep for all of us. Even like mm-hmm. Ali, you were saying, even if you, and Ali and I were talking about this before the recording too. And just as she's shared, she was like, I, I have one but I don't always, it's not because you don't have this profound experience with weight or, you know, your body. It's like, it's not always at the forefront of your mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not maybe not with weight, but definitely with my body. I think that's the difference too, that like that can manifest in different, different ways in our relationship with our body. Um, for sure. And, oh, I was just going to see, I pulled something up least because as, as we're like talking, I'm, um, I was scrolling through it. Um, well, if you don't have it, I'll tell you that the other thing, um, after, you know, you identify the themes is also thinking about your limiting beliefs because yeah. some, you know, these limiting beliefs, they they actually end up like forming your thoughts. Right. And so we can have beliefs that go way back, you know, that they aren't even our own. It could just be messaging from, you know, from, I don't want diet culture messaging from, you know, that you, that you just absorb from the media. It could be messaging from your, your mom's own belief about food and body. And so I really challenge not challenges. Like, I really think that people need to look at those beliefs, like, 
and say, are these true for me now? Or am I just doing things automatically because I believe them? And, and just because something was true for you then, or you thought it was true for you, then doesn't mean it's true for you now. And limiting beliefs are so huge. We all have them. We (laughs) all do. So, you know what, something that you said really, this is what I was trying to recall when we were, when I was scrolling through and then something you just said too, but, um, I think sometimes big events can also bring awareness to how sometimes like our patterns are based on limiting beliefs or, or just beliefs about ourselves that are limiting in the sense this set, um, boundaries that we kind of exist within, uh, for ourselves. But I was thinking about, um, the story of you were talking about overwhelm or, um, just busyness, right? Like this, I think a lot of people go into busyness. And as we know with a lot of our, um, nutrition education that oftentimes there's this concept of like primary foods and secondary foods, which you go into not in that language, but in the sense that oftentimes it might not be about food, but like manifest through food, um, Mm -hmm. what people are dealing with. And I was thinking about that in the context actually of the pandemic, because I know I was sharing with you just a little while ago that the, the concept of, um, you know, overwhelm or tired or exhaustion being something that delays healthful choices, um, for myself, it came to the forefront for me at the beginning of the pandemic, when I was forced to stop in a way, like a giant pause in life and work. And I think a lot of people had that and had to really evaluate, well, what is my value Mm -hmm. if I'm not doing? Mm -hmm. And I have theories that this goes back into like very much like a capitalist mindset of productivity equaling value. But I've only explored that this past year and a half for myself because of this massive sort of event that took place and that affected a lot of us differently. But um, also on like on a macro and on a micro where we all went into lockdown for a certain period of time and were forced to kind of sit with ourselves if we were fortunate enough to get to, you know, quarantine at home. And so I'm, I'm just thinking about that in the concept of what you're sharing here with these stories where it's like, why, I guess, why do we hold these beliefs? And, and I didn't necessarily think that my beliefs about being busy or doing things that some of the times I was really passionate about, but in a way we're limiting me Yeah. And even how it affected maybe the way I nourish myself or maybe the way I move my body or X, Y, and Z. So I just think like the work that you do and these, just even these initial concepts that you bring to have people explore in chapter two, it's like, wow, they can be incredibly subtle, but Mm -hmm. everybody can have a relationship to, to this. Everybody has these stories, even if they are subtle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I had an epiphany too, when I was like talking to you, well, through talking to you even before we recorded. And, um, when I was going through your book, it's almost like, and, and just as you were just saying about limiting beliefs about 
whose voice is it even in your head? Is it your mom's? Is it generational? Like, what is this? And it's so interesting because I almost feel like your food story is such a gift because this, it's so much more than food, right? As we're talking about, it's not about food. And if you're able to unpack the limiting beliefs around your food story, if you're able to unpack these voices in your head around your food story, you're going to liberate your entire life right? Oh like it's gosh. not yeah. about the food. Yes. And that was when I was going through it, I was like, this is like food. Our food story is like a benefit or a gift. Like, even though it can feel so painful because it's like the gateway to everything truly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also like, it is something that is worthy of working on because it doesn't like it, it doesn't go away, you know, like you could yeah. give up a I'm not, I'm putting air quotes, everyone, because I don't like this word, but a bad habit. Right. And then just get rid of the habit. But with food, like you are facing food, you are interacting with food, you're dealing with food, you know, several times a day. And so it's something that is just a part of you and a part of everything that you do. And I know you, uh, you believe this, that, that how you relate to it and, and the choices you make affects everything else, yes. you know, your productivity, your energy, you know, just the, the way that you show up in the world, you know, the way that you think everything is affected by it. So it's worth, you know, putting in the effort, but I want to go back to something that you said, um, Allie, about the, about the being busy and everything and that we were all kind of like forced to face ourselves. And I think it's interesting because some, for some people, if that felt like really out of control, like they needed to control their mm. lives more. They felt out of control, you know, like the busy kind of like, you don't have to, you don't get to stop and think about it. And for some people, they slipped into some of their old habits that they had thought they gotten past, you know, or some old thoughts were resurfacing, you know, and it was just, it's just interesting how we all respond differently to even this same situation, similar circumstances. Yeah. Did your, did your food story change at all during this last year? I mean, through everything we went through and, um, yeah. Did your food story change at all? Um, you know, that's kind of, that's really interesting that you asked that because I had like the double whammy, not only was I dealing with, you know, with, with what everyone else was dealing with, you know, during the year and a half of being sort of like more isolated and, you know, our lives turning upside down, but I also was writing my book during the pandemic. And so when you write, and I have a lot of exercises in the book for, um, the readers to, to do you, it, it is completely different than when you think, you know, when you actually physically write type, whatever, when you get out, the words that are sort of stuck in your body and in your head, you're releasing so much. So I would say to you, I had tons of epiphanies, which I share throughout the book. And I connected some dots by, you know, writing out my own food story, which hopefully that's the experience the, you know, anyone who reads the book will go through. And then as far as, you know, at the beginning, I did feel out of control and I could feel those perfection. It's not perfectionist tendencies, but those tendencies to control more, you know, resurfacing for me. But because of the tools that I have, I could say, 
that's not your story anymore. And I can nip it in the butt, but I could feel it. And then, you know, when I wasn't eating exactly the same way, when I was stressed and we all know what stress does, you know, we talk about that a lot, but just in a nutshell, stress, I call it an anti-nutrient because it affects everything. And for a lot of people, it can be, you know, impact your digestion, your metabolism, your nutrient assimilation, and just in a really negative way. And so when, when I was like, just dealing with all that stuff, it, I, I had to call in all my tools that I had, you know, I had, and, and you know, I don't wish this past year and a half on anyone or to write a book during it when you're wondering, like, is anyone going to care? We have a global crisis, you know, but it really, it, it really had me challenging what I was saying and doing, right? Is, is this important? Is this work going to be able to help people get through hard times and challenging times? And, you know, and, and so that's, I mean, so yes, my food story changed my, in a way, because I, I was challenged, but it also changed because I, I thought about what was really important for me to deliver in my message and what would be the most impactful for people. This episode is sponsored by Milk and Honey. Milk and Honey is a line of non-toxic, effective, and safe bath, body, and skincare products made in small batches in Austin, Texas. They source ingredients as hyper-clean as possible, which means both choosing organic and making thoughtful, informed choices on safe ingredients. Milk and Honey is a female-founded and funded brand that offers a wide variety of non-toxic bath, body, and skincare products that will make you feel nourished inside and out. And for our local to Los Angeles listeners, Milk and Honey has the most beautiful spa that just opened. I recently had a massage at their brand new Brentwood, Los Angeles location, and I really recommend it. We are so happy that Milk and Honey spas are now in LA after being the go-to spa with multiple locations in Texas. They offer facials, body treatments, massages, and lots more at their beautiful new space. Yes, I am about to book a treatment too, and I can't wait to check it out. I'm just so happy to have a spa that I can fully trust in our area now. And for all of our listeners, their online boutique offers products from the Milk and Honey line and from other top brands, including Osea Malibu, Virtue, Moon Juice, Kula Sun Care, and more. Some of our favorite products include Milk and Honey's Baking Soda-Free Aluminum-Free Deodorant and Lavender Tea Tree, which I have been exclusively using for years. And I also love Milk and Honey's Gel Cleanser and Osea's Body Oil and Vegas Nerve Oil, which activates the body's relaxation response and helps regulate stress. If you want to try Milk and Honey, you can receive 15% off your order by visiting milkandhoney.com and using the code CWPODCAST, one word at checkout. You can also find the direct link in our show notes. We want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about our health coaching subscription service on Patreon. The Courageous Wellness Collective has expanded on Patreon to bring listeners and clients an all-access accessible platform to educate, inform, and create nutrition and lifestyle habits to meet your personal goals. For $8.99 a month, patrons will receive weekly video content on topics ranging from blood sugar stabilization, gut health, hormone balance, energy, sleep, skin health, how to shop the grocery store, pantry staples, and much more. 
Included, you'll also receive access to monthly virtual events, recipes, awesome giveaways, and special guest content too. With this subscription, you are guaranteed at least four pieces of fresh health coaching content each month. To learn more and become a patron, visit patreon.com forward slash courageous wellness, or check out our show notes. We look forward to welcoming you to our coaching community. It's really a great resource that you've created too, because it's information, but there's also, um, exercises, as you were saying throughout it, where people can take the time and explore through prompts and different exercises that you've created, um, their own relationship with food, their own food story. And, you know, you said something earlier about, it's like, we can heal these stories and yet it's a lifelong sort of practice. So, um, I'm curious, I know like for you, because you left this world where you were a lawyer, you were an attorney, and then you went back to school and then you continued your education and went into this food psychology sort of realm as well, which we've learned so much. I mean, this is just like little anecdote from when we met Elise, but part of your, um, little workshop that you did that we were a part of you, uh, we got to taste like I think it was a chocolate tasting. It was so the chocolate meditation, chocolate meditation. That's what it was. And, um, just really getting in touch with our senses around it and experiencing that, and that there can be so much that it wasn't just that your food affects your mood, but that your mood also affects your food and the way that it functions and digests and things like that in your body, which you just referenced. But, um, because this is something that can also can be healed, but also is a lifelong journey. How do you, and how does this book help, um, develop reliable tools so that when people are in moments of stress, as you just explained in your own journey, this past year and a half, um, that they can feel there's something, a set of tools or practice to, to rely on to keep them out, out of moving back into that old story? Hmm. No, that's, that's a really good question. And I think it, in part, it depends on what, what aspect of your story that you're really dealing with. But um, what you were referencing with the chocolate meditation, it's a very exaggerated exercise where you close your eyes and you have the chocolate and, and you really taste it. You bring in all your senses, you tune out the outside world and you understand what it's like to be fully present. And it's such a gift that you give to yourself around food, but it's also the way that if we live our lives being fully present, we are able to make more rational decisions. We're be able to like do things that feel more aligned with who we really are and our purpose. And so I would say that if there's one thing that you, you take from this conversation even is that when you're in a moment of stress, when your, you know, circumstances have changed and you feel like, you know, you're doing things that just don't feel good to you, come back to that place where you can slow down, where you can actually be in the moment and you can ask yourself the questions, what do I need right now? How do I want to feel? But if you're just in that busy overwhelm, it's, it's hard to, 
it's hard to come from that place. So that I think is like a huge gift and tool that you can give to yourself, no matter what we're talking about, buying a car, you know, making, <laughs> right. It, it doesn't, it's not just about food. It's just yeah. like anytime you're making, I mean, even bigger, something with bigger stakes than a material thing, obviously, but making big decisions, you know, that you have to, you, you can't be busy and you can't be stressed because I mean, I'm sure both of, you know, stress, like it completely turns off your ability to think clearly. Yeah. Like every time I try to, to write my book, or even let's just say I try to write like for social media something, if I'm stressed, it isn't coming out how I want it to come out. And so that doesn't mean that we all have to leave these like perfectly Zen, you know, stresses of lives, you know, stress is a fact of our lives. But we, when we have the tools to to recognize, okay, I'm stressed right now. Let me get calm for a moment. Uh, then that changes everything. Yeah, absolutely. It's so much more. I know we keep saying it and I sound like a broken record, but it's so much more than food. But I love, I love that your book really breaks, breaks this down in such an accessible way for all of us to start dealing with air quotes, our relationship with food, literally not even air quotes, our relationship with food, and then liberate us to unpack everything else in our life from there. But, you know, um, towards the end of your book as well, you do talk like to talk about food. Yeah, <laughs> there, there is food. Yes, yeah. there is food. Um, and, but to talk about, right. Like making your kitchen a sanctuary and uh-huh. recipes and rituals. I love a recipe and I love a ritual, um, you know, based on different moods or feelings that you do have. Can you talk us through some of that as well? Cause food is such a joy as well, right? Like once we can heal our relationships with food, heal our own food stories, um, food is, and should be such a joy. Ali and I, I know all three of us, we love food so much. So, um, yeah. Can you maybe talk us through a little bit of that part of your book towards the end, right? Like about how making our kitchens like this, incredible sanctuary and also some recipes and rituals that okay. you can yeah, share with us. Yeah, of course. So um, I just want to say one quick thing about, you know, the beginning of the book is a little bit, and this is anytime you do the work for whatever it is that you're trying to heal, it's a little bit harder. You know, you have to dig a little deeper. You got to get uncomfortable to be able to get comfortable. And it was really important to me to not make, you know, when I work with people, not make it, I mean, of course you have to feel your feelings, but not make it so heavy that you're like, I quit. I don't want to do it. And so if you notice there's humor and it's, there's an air of lightness too throughout, you know, and I try to make things fun. So this, this kitchen sanctuary (laughs) ritual that you're talking about is just something that, um, I do. And I really believe in, and it initially started with like, when you have a decluttered space, it doesn't matter your desk, your car, you know, it's really hard to think clearly, right? It's hard to feel like relaxed and at ease if there's clutter all around you. And so, you know, where does most or a lot of your food story happen in your kitchen? So if you walk into your kitchen and it's filled with kind of negative memories, or you can't find anything, or you have that, you know, the magic bullet, like protein powder that you bought for some 
you know, cleanse or whatever that you went on that was like a kind of miserable experience. And you're con- not even like consciously, but if you're walking in and you're seeing all that, it's not really going to inspire you. Right. And so it's just a really fun exercise that I have people go through where you basically move the energy, you move the negative stuff that you don't necessarily see because you see it over and over, but your body is feeling it. So you're getting rid of that protein batter I just referenced. You're minimizing what you have in there so that you don't feel overwhelmed, Allie. (laughs) You know, when you walk in, right? You're like, I see the blender and I see, you know, all my kitchen knives and a cutting board and that's all I need right now, you know? And so it just feels light and easy and inviting and it's not making you feel like frozen when you walk in. So that's really, that's it in a nutshell. And there's a checklist and you can do more things. You can put up, you know, photos that represent like a positive time in your life. Like I, in my kitchen, I have um, a picture of kale shocker, but um, it's something that my son took when he was in like, I don't know, like seventh grade, sixth grade. And it was his first, like he went to a farmer's market and he took it with his first like big boy camera or whatever, you know, and we made it into a poster and I still have it up on the wall because it just represents, you know, that my kids went to the farmer's market when they were that age and they, you know, enjoyed it enough to, to, to take photos of it. So you can have put things around, but the point is just to really create a space where you're inspired. That's the bottom line to that section. Do you want to contribute anything to that before we talk about the recipes and rituals and moods and food and all of that? No, it's so true. I mean, I, it makes, it's, it's so, it makes so much sense, right? Exactly. As you said, and same, like my, I have pictures and things that bring me joy in my kitchen every single day. And something that brings me joy in my kitchen is like, I have like my smoothie matcha coffee area. And it's like all with like my favorite, like, like, like I said, like I love, (laughs) rituals and I love, so I have like my potions and my like superfoods that I call potions, but it just makes me feel joyful to see it. So I keep Mm -hmm. it as like a little section. Um, yeah. And I just, it makes a huge, huge difference. Mm -hmm. That's your sacred space over there. And it's just yours. Yeah, exactly. It's like my little part of the kitchen, your nook. I find too, what you said about decluttering a space, I'll try to clean out, keep my fridge and pantry as organized as possible. And when it becomes disorganized, which it does from time to time, I will sit on the floor and do a big organization because I like to know what I have, because in a way it's like, I, I feel like I've made this analogy before on some episode, but I find that cooking can be very creative. And so it's like, if I'm, if I'm cooking a meal or preparing a meal, it's sort of like the equivalent of painting a painting. I need to know what colors I have. I need to know what paints are in, in there for me, which are just the ingredients. But that's sort of how I look at it, where it's like, if I only think I might have like three, then my creativity might be more limited than if I feel like I have a whole huge palette to choose from. So, um, I try to keep it decluttered and if it gets there, I will prioritize just sitting down and, and cleaning it out, um, until it's until I know every last thing that's in there, just so that I know what I have to pull from. 
Mm-hmm. I you love know? that. Yeah. Yeah. And also everybody is different. So like even in my house, my husband doesn't like when we have so much food, you know, he's like, and look, I, I recognize that, you know, for some people there is food scarcity. And, and so I don't want it when I say so much food, it's just more that he likes a hat, like a more of an empty fridge. And for me, I like, I like options. I like, I just like seeing, you know, that the containers with things that are made and that I could quickly toss together. And so I think that you have to ask yourself and maybe experiment with different ways of organizing, you know, your kitchen and your, your pantry and your fridge or whatever, but what feels good to you? And then here's the other thing that's really like just a huge part of having a story mindset is that what feels good to you right now might not be what feels good to you next year or next season. And so constantly check in with yourself. Do I feel good when I come into the space? Do I like opening the fridge? I just like seeing choices. That makes me feel really good. And maybe it also makes me feel good that because of before when I was like, this is what you have to eat. And I was so restrictive. And this is, it feels more celebratory to be like, oh, what, what do I want to eat? Not what do I have to eat? So, yes. yeah, I and love thanks. that. Okay. I love it. Sorry. I was just like, we're yes. both yes. all the yeses. <laughs> we're both enthusiastic. And I think one of the things that Erica and I have always resonated um, with you about like your work and what you put out there is that you do have such a food positive um view and you really show the joy in, in really appreciating and loving food. And we love that too. We, we are food positive because Mm -hmm. there are so many beautiful benefits of food, especially when you were fortunate enough to have it accessible to us and have fresh food accessible. And, you know, we do talk, obviously these are other conversations, but we do talk a lot about affordability and accessibility of course, and something yeah. that, you know, we hope to work, we do work towards, but we hope to continue to like help, um, that in our own community because it's, it's massive and it's major. And, um, but if we're fortunate enough to have that, what I love is how, like you said, how celebratory sort of your point of view is on how, um, how wonderful food can be and how, right. how much joy it can bring too. Right. And then also to speak to what you were addressing, I, you don't have to have either superfoods are nice and all of that, but really to nourish yourself, you know, you don't need to buy the potions and the, you know, all of that stuff really like the best, most nourishing foods is what mother nature provides for us, you know, and, you know, I'm all about shopping at the farmer's market or eating what's in season. And like, that takes also a lot of the guesswork out of like, what do I eat too? And so it's just really, I think it's really, what it really comes down to is just finding ways to connect, connect to your food, whatever that means to you, whatever you have available to you, you know, and this is why our stories are all unique you know, and, and we have different chapters of our stories. Like, you know, I mean, so I, I I think it's just really about always staying connected to your story, staying connected to your desires, staying connected to what, you know, what's around, what's available and, and just, you know, how, how do you make the most of that? Yeah. I think that's really important too, is like our food story does change and it does evolve and it's, it can be in seasons and, yeah, 
I think, yeah. Yes. I just like, my mind is always blown when we talk to you, Elise, because you oh are gosh, just such a wealth of knowledge. Yeah. But that brings us to the recipes, right? So are okay, there yes. any recipes that you can share with us or teas or especially, I love how they're categorized by like happy, focused, radiant, strong, right? Um, even choose your mood smoothie bowls. Um, that's super fun. So yeah, just any recipes you want to share or, talk about, cause you are such an incredible recipe developer yeah, and so you make such yummy food. <laughs> I want to tell you the backstory just real quickly that originally this book was supposed to be a hybrid and I had more recipes. And then when the publisher, when I turned in my manuscript, the publisher read it and said, you know, if we make, if we share that many recipes, then it's going to, and we do the book, the big oversized book, the way that I thought it was going to be it's going to go on cookbook shelves. And then people are going to like thumb through, look for the photos, look at the recipes, and they're going to not really read the first part of the book. So we made a decision that we were going to cut down the recipes so that people could really go through the whole food story method. And then, you know, the recipes are just like, they're a bonus, they're important. You know, of course we all have to cook and eat. And I think they're, I love the recipes in the book, but I just want to, just to share like how they, that I ended up, you know, with, less recipes, but still great recipes. And they're all divided by mood as you referenced Erica. And so the reason I chose to do that is because I'm figuring that a lot of people who pick up the book have been, you know, they, they know they, they've read a ton of, you know, there's, there's, um, you know, they're following people on Instagram, getting recipes They're you know, they own, cookbooks, like it's free on the inner, you know, like that they, they don't really need to, they don't really need another recipe to help them, you know, in their story. And so I wanted to do something different and create what I call an empowering approach. And so this is where you think about not what food can do to you, um, which is like, am I going to gain weight or am I going to feel bloated Am I, you know, am I, you know, am I going to get, you know, tired or be reactive or whatever it might be that is the thoughts that you have about the food or fear around food instead switch the lens and look at it and think, what will food do for me? And so when you think about that, there are certain nutrients that can help you feel calm or certain nutrients that can give you more energy, or I even have sensual as one of the moods or, or certain foods that really are, um, can help you feel more radiant. So I decided to do all the recipes by mood to empower the reader. And, you know, I do this also, you know, not just in my book too, but to empower the reader to really start thinking about all those like really positive effects that food can have on you. And so that's where that food and mood approach came from. And, you know, that's how we met uh, originally we're talking about food and mood. And so I picked seven moods so, and you mentioned most of them, Erica, but I'll do them real quickly. It's happy, focused, comforted, strong, radiant, sensual, and calm. <laughs> See, I got them now. And there are recipes, you know, for different times of the day for that mood. And you choose which, what you want to make based on how you want to feel. And throughout the book, even not, you know, in other ways, I have you ask yourself, how do I want to feel? And you base your behaviors and your patterns and your actions and your food choices on that answer. So um, you want me to name a recipe or two yeah, that I really maybe. like? Please. Yes. In a second, please name your favorite recipe. But I just want to say like, 
that's something I really loved. Like, I really feel like your book should be required reading, <laughs> like truly required mm-hmm. reading, um, especially for women. Um, I like feel like it should be in like middle schools or something, even though I know it's for like grown, but I feel like if you could start reading this and unpacking your food story at like 11 and 12, how much that would change your life, but it's never too late for all of us, but yes, yeah, that's required, true. required reading for all of us. But I love that. I just want to say, like, we talk so much, as you said, about like what, food can do to us. And I always, I know we all really believe this, but Allie and I are so not about restriction. We're so about like, what can you add, right? Like what is it that we can add and enjoy because, and that's why I just love, so please, but I love those seven things because that's what it should be. It should be, what do I want to eat to feel happy, to feel radiant, to feel sensual, um, to just switch the narrative. I think, um, so yeah, you're getting into yes. the story language. Yes. Go, go yes. So please. Yeah. So please share maybe like one of your favorite recipes that people oh my can gosh. look out for in the book. That's <laughs> so hard. I don't know. I, I really like so many of the recipes and I did something different this time because we were in the middle of pandemic and I couldn't have my recipe testers who are friends and colleagues. I ended up hiring someone like a professional recipe tester to, and she really helped me bring these recipes next level. So I'm proud of some of them. I I mean, of all of them, sorry. Um, I'm, I don't, it's funny. I don't really have a favorite. I do. I love um, the very first recipe is the happiness breakfast bowl. And it's pretty flexible, but I love it because most of us don't think about doing it, but I also love it because of the story behind it. And long story short, my son, Noah, who is a phenomenal cook and, and he would make these bowls uh, you know, for himself every morning. And so there was, you know, greens and king. I mean, is this a mother's dream? Like they're eating greens at, you know, 8 a.m. Greens and quinoa, and you could do beans. And it's a pretty flexible recipe. It has a really nice tahini sauce, but you can do it, you know, if you like eggs, you can put an egg, avocado, eggs, radish, like you can put different things on it. It's pretty flexible. But the point is like really starting your day very nourishing. But I just, I like the story behind it. It's it's in a lot of the photos, this bowl. You know, and so, and I love how flexible it is because you can have the base all ready to go and made ahead of time. And then you can switch your toppings depending on your mood. So um, that's one of my favorite recipes in the book. That's great. It's so nice to have a a son who's a good chef too. (laughs) Oh my God. He's so good. I I also really like the sensual recipes too, because it's not something that we talk about all the time, but I think that the, you know, especially people who are living with chronic stress or self-imposed stress or whatever that, you know, lack of libido is a huge issue for a lot Mm -hmm. of people. And so I'm not saying that like these foods can take away all our problems, but it's just one more tool that you can have in your healing toolbox, you know? So I, it was fun for me to research these ingredients um, and to talk about it in a way that was not embarrassing. And that felt like really inspiring too. So there's like, there are just so many recipes in that sec- that particular section for whatever reason, maybe these are the foods I need. I don't know, but they're just great recipes. The central snack board, the chocolate tartlet with spice, you know, it's spiced. So yeah. well, I think that's so great too. Cause especially again, and you know, so many women not only struggle with food, but I think the concept of like embracing your femininity and your sensuality, I think it's also connected. So yeah, I, like I said, I think this should really be required reading for all of us. So yeah, thank you for creating this beautiful book. Please say that louder. Okay. (laughs) Yes, it is. It's required reading. 
Um, <laughs> yes. And thank you for teasing it and teasing. I can't wait to dapple in some of the recipes too. I'm excited. And I love some of the like listed foods that I was looking through with the section where you list to some of the foods for mood. And, um, I'm like, Oh, all my favorite ones are aphrodisiacs, you know, like oysters <laughs> and, and dark chocolate. Um, what does that say? So, um, but yes, it's, it's a great resource. We're so happy that we got to have you back on and chat with you about it. And we can't wait for all of our listeners to check out the book. Um, as we wrap up, we do ask three questions for all of our guests. And so the first one is, can you share with us, what does your daily self-care practices, what do they look like? Um, and do you have any non-negotiables in your day-to-day? Okay. Yeah. I love this question. Um, because, and also it changed a lot, you know, like, I think we had this like gift where we could, you know, reprioritize what really matters. And my morning is so important to me. I just, so we live in the middle of DC. It, there are sirens. Luckily there haven't been any on this recording, but sirens all the time, you know, I'm in the city, but just a 10 minute walk away, we have these woods and my husband and I started going almost every single day. You know, we walked a lot during these like walking and we go with our dogs and it's amazing that it exists so close by and that it's accessible and that you could, I can start my day in nature. I mean, that is really, that has been so, such a really important part of my day. And so I would say though, that my actual non-negotiables are, you know, just making sure that my morning time is my own and not, I, I'm not perfect by any stretch, but not being reactive by opening emails before I have the time for myself by, you know, going on social media before I've connected with what I want and how I feel. And then movement is so, so sometimes those are the, the same thing, you know, but just movement on my whole day changes. And I was sharing with you, like this morning, I went to a, a class, you know, and, and I've been, I still move every day, but I sweat so much this morning and I feel like sweating is such a release. And so I'm going to add that now saying it out loud, that that has to be a part of my almost daily, like, cause you know, almost daily, because I don't want to put pressure on myself for when I don't do it. Um, so those are two big daily non-negotiables. Did you ask a first part to the question that I missed? Uh, just your daily self-care non-negotiables. Oh was- yeah. <laughs> those, those are really important things. And then I, ha- I have to just add this in. I love, and I know that Erica, you will relate to it. I love my matcha ritual. It mm-hmm. just, yeah. I think it's so much more about like the nourishment that you get from the matcha, but yeah. really honestly, it's like that that time for me making the matcha, it's the ritual. I mean, so many of us love our, like people love their coffee ritual, yeah. like, you know, whatever it might be for you. I think having that, whether you do it in the middle of the day or at the beginning of the day, but having that time and creating that one thing that's just yours, nobody else yeah. is part of it. It's just yours is so important. And yeah. I definitely feel different. I don't feel as grounded on the days that I don't go through my whole matcha ritual. Yeah, no, I love that. I can definitely relate. Those are, those are some really good self-care practices <laughs> that you have, your non-negotiables. Mm-hmm. Um, the next question we always ask is what does being courageous mean to you? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I, Ooh, it's so, I feel courageous putting this book out there. 
you know, I mean, and just, and that's not like, I'm not trying to say to the listeners, you have to write a book to be courageous by any stretch, but I think anytime when you can like connect with your own truth and stand in it and feel comfortable and confident, whether it's just talking to someone, you know, and responding in and not being a yes person and saying how you really feel or writing a book or being on a, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. You don't have to do this big, huge public thing, but I just think being true to your own message and feeling comfortable enough to stand in it is courageous. Yeah. Thank you so much. And then the final one is in addition to your own book, do you have a book referral or it could just be a resource of any kind that's just meant something to you over the course of your own journey? Hmm. There, there have been so many, you know, I haven't read as much. I have to, you know, I've just been kind of a little busy. And I also, it's funny that I tried not to read a lot while I was writing because I didn't want to, you know, we all let things seep in. We don't realize it. And so I wanted to stay in my own energy and make sure that I wasn't even unknowingly writing something, you know, that sort of sounded or felt like someone else. So I haven't read as many books, but the book that comes to mind and it is, in a tangential way related to mine. I read this book for, and I know the author, Jennifer Pasteloff on being human. And it was just so like, it was messy and such good storytelling and just really vulnerable. And it was a few years ago. It wasn't just a recent book, but that book, it always, I always come back to that book in my own mind because so much of my story about being perfect was about hiding my humanness. And so that book really had a profound impact on me and to just kind of come full circle, she gave me the most beautiful endorsement and there are a lot of them, but I just, I love it. She talks, you know, she kind of she talks about like how the book helps you find your inner asshole. <laughs> like, and so most people don't write like that, you know, but just anyway, it just, it, it came full circle and it was really just, it, it made her book even more meaningful for me. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I definitely want to read that now too. So thank you for sharing everything with us today. If anyone wants to find you, follow you, buy your book, where can they do all of the things? All of the things. So, um, I have a podcast and a great episode with you on it called Once Upon a Food Story. My website is my name, Elise Micellis. My book is wherever books are sold. And you know, if you want to support your local bookstores, that's always a good thing. And it's available at the big booksellers as well. So um, I want to say thank you to both of you. Um, From the moment I met you, I just really, I loved you too. And it's just been so fun to watch everything, watch you grow. And I said this to you before we even started, and I really mean it. You are two of the best interviewers I've, you know, and I've done quite a few interviews. You're just, you know how to like ask the right questions and chime in when necessary, but give people um, a space to share what they really want to share. So thank you for providing that for me. Thank you. Well, it was our pleasure and we're so excited for your book release and it's, it's just wonderful to see you again. So thanks for coming on. Well, thank you for spending time with me. Always a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. 
subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net, where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.